Let's catch up with the, our good friend Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief, and discuss the week that was in federal and provincial politics. Keith, welcome. Yes. Uh, lots to talk about here. Uh, this week, the NDP said they would be supporting a conservative motion to pause the federal carbon tax on all forms of home heating. In fact, New Westminster Burnaby MP Peter Julian made the announcement uh, yesterday afternoon, following question period, upping the pressure on the Bloc Quebecois to either support the Liberals in voting down the motion on on Monday or join the opposition push. Of course, uh, push. Of course, uh, what it also does uh, is uh, put a little bit of pressure on the provincial NDP to do something mm-hmm. for folks uh, because only about one point eight percent of British Columbia have uh, home heating oil, but over 950,000 homes actually use natural gas. I wanted just to listen to, in regards to how uh, volatile and, and uh, the debate has become federally. Here's Pierre Pauly given Prime Minister Trudeau earlier this week. This Saskatchewan NDP has just voted to endorse my motion to give equal tax-free heat for all Canadians. That is the position of the NDP in BC, Manitoba, and Alberta as well. Now the question is whether the NDP will vote against its cash-strapped constituents and in favour of the Prime Minister. So can the PM tell us, was, is this vote part of the coalition agreement or does the NDP have the freedom to vote for their constituents? The Leader of the Opposition wants to talk about places across the country. Let's talk about them. 20,000 Saskatchewanians heat their homes with home heating oil. 50,000 Albertans and uh, about 100,000 British Columbians, Mr. Speaker. That is dirty, it is more polluting, and it is more expensive, particularly for the predominantly lower-income families that rely on this. That's why we're moving forward to replace them with heat pumps. It was heated, that's for sure. Uh, Keith, uh, your thoughts on the federal conversation, but more importantly, what types of pressure does this put on the provincial NDP to do something to, to, to address the issue of affordability for people? Oh, I think it, it, it puts pressure, but pressure was already there. When, when the Trudeau government abruptly changed its position on carbon taxing in Atlantic Canada, that ignited a, a debate on, on carbon taxes and on taxing home heating. And it wasn't just confined to federal politics. And so it was no coincidence that the VC United opposition party here very quickly moved up its timing for announcing a major policy in its platform, and that was to exempt home heating from the carbon tax in BC. Uh, That alone, I think, puts a little pressure on the EB government to do something about, uh, about home heating at the very least. And I wouldn't be surprised. I'll be talking about this on Global News Hour tonight. I think there's a good chance that the spring budget will see some sort of uh, provision, either an exemption of the carbon tax or perhaps an energy rebate scheme. Uh, not a tax credit. Those are kind of um, not really effective for people. But a rebate, maybe a reduction on your hydro bill, maybe a check. We've certainly seen governments do that before. Uh, the carbon tax was introduced when affordability and cost of living was not a concern to people. That was back in 2008. It, uh, inflation only became a concern in the last couple of years, and that's when the carbon tax started to go up and up and up. So it's unlike the tax that was first introduced that had significant support. Now it's almost a 50-50 proposition with the public. And I think the combination of what's going on in Ottawa and what polio is doing 
And what BC United now is making part of their platform, not to mention the BC Conservatives, which can't be discounted here, want to get rid of the carbon tax entirely, means I don't think the NDP can stick to its position that there could be no changes of either the carbon tax or some sort of financial relief when it comes to energy costs. So in many ways, do you do you think this is the beginning of, of the end for the carbon tax? I know Mr. Falcon was on this show uh, just the other day saying that, look, if uh, Mr. Polyev kills the carbon tax, he's going to kill it here in BC if he's elected premier. Uh, I mean, you and I have talked about this before, but, you know, one of the things you brought up in the past is, is it actually changing behavior? And one could argue it's not. Um, your thoughts on this? Is this the beginning of the end of at least a rethink of what carbon tax is in the context of not just affordability, but where we are compared to many other jurisdictions around the world? Yeah, I had a column out a couple of weeks ago speculating, are politicians going to start losing their nerve when it comes to adopting policies to fight climate change that bite people in the wallet? You see the UK government and the Conservative government of the United Kingdom has already backed away from a host of of, uh, climate change fighting policies because it was affecting people's um, uh, pocketbooks. The Prime Minister there said now was not the time to have an onerous cost on the working people of Britain. So they blinked. You've got Trudeau now blinking in Atlantic Canada because the polls were looking terrible for him. They just introduced the carbon tax. I mean, we've had it for 15 years. This is a new thing for them back east. But many more people are you know, using uh, oil there, and that was the exemption. So I think you've got governments are blinking at this. And when one uh, your major opponent wants to adopt a significantly different position on, on carbon pricing right now, uh, that may force the government to move its own position. And the great irony, of course, is when the BC Liberals, the precursor to BC United, brought in the carbon tax, the NDP opposed the carbon tax <laughs> and fought an election and lost in 2009. So that was where both parties started. Now you've got the BC United basically moving away from the carbon tax that it introduced and the NDP so far supporting a tax that it originally opposed. So we'll talk about flip-flops from both sides, but uh, this argument and this debate is just actually getting started. It's not ending. So I think anything's possible. Either I, don't, I can't see the EB government eliminating the carbon tax entirely, but I can certainly see some changes if it's allowable under federal legislation. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's go from affordability to housing this week. Uh, housing Minister Vikelon announced uh, a plan that will require most municipalities across BC to automatically allow four units on land that's about 3,000 square feet and six units uh, if it's also near transit. Also, under the new rules, lengthy public hearings would be done away with and in, in two years, and rezoning will be effectively done uh, away with altogether in some cases. I had Eric Woodward on the show, uh, the mayor of the township of Langley, fast-growing community. Uh, here's his thoughts on the proposed legislation. In the Willoughby area where we have significant new land coming into urban development around 200 Street, um, we have other established single-family neighborhoods like Walnut Grove or Murrayville um, that are now going to be having this density imposed upon them with no planning process around schools, um, park acreage per resident, um, a number of other factors which are, are involved in the overall community planning process. Um, if you simply come in and say you're now able to quadruple densities in these areas, I'm not sure how that's going to work for park capacity, recreation facilities, or schools um, that are full in those areas. So now how is that going to work? 
Uh, and, uh, you know, when I was talked to uh, uh, Mayor Woodward, uh, I found his comments to be thoughtful, uh, not that he's against some of this, but he also said, look, it opens up a whole new can of worms. And I guess the biggest issue here is why do we have local councils? One could argue that's where the red tape is. That's where we get no housing built. At the same time, the, the provincial government is essentially bigfooting all these local councils. Uh, your thoughts on that? I mean, is there yep. some potential trouble there for, for, the, for, the, for Victoria? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a major over, potentially overreach by the NDP government. Um, may, they're making the argument drastic, pretty strong action is required to go over the heads of councils who stubbornly refuse to build housing. And a couple have been signaled out. Oak Bay over here in the island, which is very affluent, another affluent municipality is West Vancouver. Uh, some municipalities have, uh, municipalities have bought into this, They're saying, yep, this, is, this certainly uh, fits our plan. But, uh, you know, Mayor Woodward raised a very good uh, point. Other mayors are going to raise this as well. Along with housing comes a host of other things, and that's costs. And that means things like infrastructure, water pipes, sewer pipes, parking concerns. Um, Not just, you know, concerns about four houses on a lot, because with four houses comes increased pressure on infrastructure. Now, there's a bit of money uh, offered by Victoria on this, uh, I think something like $60 million to start assisting municipalities with with, uh, infrastructure costs. But one assumes that's nowhere near enough. So that's where I think some of the opposition from the local council is going to come is on some of the costs that are going to be dumped on them uh, to uh, accommodate a great increase in housing. But philosophically, this is certainly a move by Victoria to go more than just an end run around municipalities. This is going right over their heads on something that's at the heart of many people's municipal council, and that's zoning laws. I mean, it doesn't get more municipal than that, than zoning. And now you've got uh, Victoria basically inserting itself in here in a way historically it never has done before. Now, one of the issues right now, we still haven't seen a lot of the details in this Mm -hmm. legislation. It's it's in part of what are called regulations. And that's what we've seen in this government, this fall setting. They brought in some pretty meaty pieces of legislation that is unusual for a fall session. Usually you see that in the spring. This is in the fall, which is a shorter session, so there's less time to scrutinize the bills. But there's not a lot of detail on the short-term rental bill, uh, uh, rental accommodation bill, which basically gets rid of Airbnbs. And there's a lot of not, not a lot of details on the housing bill. So we're still waiting to see a lot of details, the nitty-gritty stuff, before I think you can draw too many really strong conclusions yet. Hmm. Well, there's a lot to talk about and debate on that issue. Uh, we got about about 90 seconds left, but I wanted to bring this up, and most people don't pay attention to the stuff. You had called me and updated to me on this the other day. Um, every quarter, uh, Elections BC uh, puts out numbers in regards to what political parties uh, are raising in regards to funds. Um, and this, the last quarter, which stretches from July 1st to September 30th of this year, so the, over the summer months, uh, the BC NDP is leading, uh, raising about $868,000 in that quarter. Number two is BC United with $399,000. So uh, NDP is double, you know, raising about double more. More than double the BC United. BC Green Party's at 161,000, and the Conservative Party, BC Conservatives, at 52,000. Your thoughts on the fact that the NDP yeah. is, you know, essentially raising more than double what BC United uh, has well, raised? If I, if I was BC United, I'd be very concerned about this because the B, first of all, the NDP does raise more money than BC United. One of the smartest things the Horgan government did was banning corporate and labor donations, and that really kicked the BC Liberals and now the BC United a bit in the teeth because that was their main fundraising arm. That's gone now. And the NDP's always excelled at smaller individual donations. But what the UBC United has to be concerned is not only are they way behind the NDP, 
as they have been the last couple quarters, but their numbers have dropped significantly. They went from 768,000 in the previous quarter to just under 400,000 in the in the most recent quarter. And it's I don't think it's any coincidence that this quarter covers a period of time where we saw a couple of opinion polls that had BC United and the Conservatives basically tied. And I think it's very hard to raise money right. I've heard this from BC United supporters. It's hard to raise money when it doesn't look like you're going to be the government, that they're now mired in third place in some cases. And that's just not a good sales pitch, frankly, to people to say, give us money when it doesn't look like you're the payoff of forming power and forming government and implementing policies is there. So if they were more competitive with the NDP, I think they'd be raising more money. And until those polls improve, I don't think their fundraising is going to improve. It's going to be very interesting when you get the next set of polls, probably uh, early in the new year, uh, then you'll get a good, better sense of where things are. And I think there'll be quite a few repercussions from that. But that's another day. But uh, very interesting time in Victoria, that's for sure. Keep- Always is. Always is, that's for sure. Have a great weekend.